Sports Podcast, presented by the Columbia Daily Tribune. Hello and welcome to another Mizzou Sports Podcast. My name is Daniel Jones. Actually, no, it's not. Uh, this is the voice of Eric Blum. Uh, I'm the prep reporter for the Tribune, uh, but I'm filling in today as, I guess, the technical co-host of the Mizzou Sports Podcast. I think you'll be hearing my voice a lot more on this. With We can get into that another time, though, about what kind of how roles are shifting, but you should be hearing my voice a little bit more. Uh, joining me today is the editor for the, or the sports editor for the Columbia Daily Tribune, Garrett Wow, Hodge. I got promoted. Uh, not yet. <laughs> uh, Hopefully not for a while, if ever. But, but Gary Hodge, how are you doing? I'm well. How are you, Eric? Doing well on this Monday, uh, May 20th. Uh, got some Mizzou stuff to definitely to talk about, but uh, I think it's nice to carry over tradition that I do from the Midmo Preps podcast to hear anything you want to talk about, Garrick. Um, I mean, there's a lot of stuff we could talk about. Um, I well, mean, the Blues have a chance to clinch Stanley Cup playoff on Tuesday. I think that's the St. Louis news that everybody here is pretty excited about. And they probably should already should have because the hand pass game, they were the better team. Yes, well, uh, I mean, I think it's going to stir a conversation up about NHL officiating, if nothing else. So, yeah, this this playoffs not only in with my favorite team and my biases, but the Washington Capitals has kind of exploited the holes in the NHL rulebook, and I think that that'll be that'll be a major talking point in the off season. But coming back to Mizzou news, I think would you want to start with baseball, softball? No, let's start with softball. Softball, okay. So softball, uh, we. Last recorded a podcast, Cam's Goodbye podcast. I think it was May 8th when that was recorded. That was when they were about to head to College Station for the SEC tournament. They lost in the opening round to Auburn, I believe. Correct, yep. Um, and, then, but, and then they were kind of on, they were safely in the tournament, the NCAA tournament, on the uh, the bottom of the two seeds, high three seeds. I think Softball America had them as a high three going to Stillwater, but they ended up getting the second lowest two seed in the Los Angeles Regional, going to UCLA's home field with... With Cal State Fullerton and Weaver State started the tournament off with a win over Cal State Fullerton, then lost to UCLA, falling back in the double elimination format, needing, I guess, what, that would have to be three wins in a row to advance to the Super Regional at that point. Yep. They did defeat Weaver State, then they did beat UCLA on their home uh, home turf, home, home field, whatever you want to call it, and then in the deciding Game 7, UCLA finally played like the number two team in the country. And beat them, I think, at five innings, eleven to one, thirteen to one, something like that. Yeah, no, um, it was uh, probably a disappointing ending to what it was an otherwise absolutely phenomenal first season for Larissa Anderson. Um, I mean, they kept saying on the uh, broadcast nobody expected them to be there because of the whole postseason ban, and of course, you know, they played under appeal. So we'll find out if that actually takes shape next year or not. Probably in a few months, but um, no, I, I mean, I think. They got some great moments. Uh, Eddie Moore's two home runs yep. on uh, the opening round against Cal State Fullerton. I mean, she just completely unloaded on a 1-0 pitch and smacked it like 500 feet into left field off the scoreboard. <laughs> That's an exaggeration. It wasn't that far. But, Maybe even 300. But no, it, it was softball. definitely one of the, like, there's a couple no-doubters in softball, but like... 
there's a, very few swings, in my opinion, that you just see like before you even see like how far the ball travels, just the swing off the bat where you're like, oh, that's gone. And the moment I saw that stroke and that follow through, I was like, oh, boy, that just went is a moonshot. Um, but no, it was uh, pretty cool. I, I mean, I think just beating UCLA once. Um, it was just absolutely phenomenal. Like I was checking my uh, phone yesterday, Sunday, I should say, we're recording this on a Monday, and I'm just going, "Oh my God, they're they're up five to one against UCLA," and I, you know, uh, tuned in for a few innings on uh, UCLA before you know that ended pretty poorly. Uh, errors just killed them, and I think they used all their energy just up on trying to even force a game seven in the first place. But um, no, I mean, I. Th- I tweeted after they beat UCLA that regardless of the result, that it's a phenomenal first season. And even after a 12-1, 13-1 loss, whatever it was, that I still holds true to that. I mean, the fact that they were, you know, theoretically seven innings away from making a super regional is just absolutely a testament to how much growth they've incurred um, in one season under a new coach. Yeah, and it, and it was an interesting move because... The, the biggest hole that I, I think a lot of Mizzou softball fans saw was their pitching depth. They had Matty Norman, the Tipton grad, who was fantastic, pitched a lot of great. And then after that, I mean, yes, you have Cassie Gasper, but after that, it just it seemed like it tailed off a little bit. There was definitely a your ace and then a, 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 a step down in quality with, with two, three, or four pitchers. And that's kind of where UCLA got you. You can only throw so much, even though you can throw more in the circle with the much more natural windup of a softball pitch than it is for baseball even those pitchers reach their end of their road and that's kind of was kind of Mizzou's biggest hole in their game and that's what exposed them and being the number two team in the country that's how you host a super regional is you get to be that one of the best I guess technically 16 teams in the country at that point um and and I think Maddie was a senior she had her senior day so that's gonna be an even bigger question going forward for Larissa in year two who's gonna step in the circle who's gonna deliver you those innings against the gauntlet of the SEC uh, I don't know what recruits they have coming in, but it looks like I, she definitely has the locker room. She has the belief of the players, and I, they might want to run through a wall for her. So I think they'll figure it out. I just don't know what's coming down the pipeline based on what they don't already have on the roster. Yeah, no, I agree. Again, great first year for Larissa Anderson, one game away from a Super Regional. Um, pretty easy to feel good about that program after uh, the uh, – national showing at the weekend uh moving over to baseball uh they entered uh, their regular season series finale at home against florida florida's in a midst of a terrible season by their standards i mean it would be a fine season by missouri standards yeah they won the college world series two years ago yep um i mean they graduated guys like brady singer who's now thriving in the royals organization who was just an absolute stud for them on the mound last year and um before that series started i was uh you know, asking around a little bit at uh, Taylor Stadium, and there was some pretty cautious optimism from Missouri folks that they were going to be hosting a regional if they can just take two out of three from the Gators and win one game in the SEC tournament. Um, and considering their RPI was 14 entering that series, um, they I had a pretty good shot, in my opinion, if that held true. Obviously, none of that happened. They lost all three games. Um, their hitting was absolutely abysmal against the statistically worst-rated pitch staff in the SEC. Their ER, Florida's ERA was almost at six entering that game, and um, apparently talking around a little bit more, they found some complete holes in Missouri's uh, swings. Um, from what 
I understood talking to someone from Florida. They had all their pitchers increase their uh, breaking ball usage and their changeup usage. Um, I think on uh, Friday, they their starter threw 40 changeups, which is like 20 more than he's ever thrown the whole North year. North of 40, yeah. Yeah, that he's ever thrown the whole year. Um, and that's, I think they're seeing on floor, tape that Missouri's hitters are all fastball heavy hitters. They like can are great at hitting fastballs, and then if you get them off balance with the changeup, they just haven't shown on film that they're able to react to it. Um, if I am a, an opposing pitcher facing Missouri the rest of the year, I am going off speed um, every at bat. Um, I mean, set up a fastball on the corner and then just completely get them off balance with the changeup and throw inside and throw a few breaking balls here and there. They just haven't been able to. Just, prove that they can handle that situation they batted 170 in three games against florida scored a total of seven runs uh scored in three innings i believe and three games um but yeah no it was uh pretty disappointing uh steve beezer their coach was pretty disappointed about the result um blamed it on a uh, failure of execution um they there's a couple times throughout the series that they tried to bunt and it just completely backfired on them thursday in the opener bases loaded nobody out um Gomez drops down a bunt and then there's a play at the plate and the guy's out bet by a force out by a mile. Chad McDaniel has some words with the Florida pitcher and they get into a small skirmish that didn't really amount to anything, but it, except a really great Hunter Dyke photo. That's oh, okay. that's what it came from. Almost the exact same thing happened on Friday. Uh, runners on the corners uh, and then... I actually was. Uh, I started off with first and second, nobody out. Josh Holt lays down a fantastic bunt to the first baseline, advances the runners to one out, second and third. I guess that must have been was it Mark Veerling? No, no, no. Chris Cornelius hits in the two spot for them, and he his bunt just goes right on the ground, really fast back to Brandon Left, which you pitched for them on Friday. Throws him out at home, out by a mile, no skirmish. So, but I should add, Mark Veerling's out for the year now, broken oh, finger in the series. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. Um, got that update. So is Tyler. Uh, LaPlante, and uh, apparently so is Goobelman. They're one of their relievers. So their once uh, um, very deep pitching staff is now kind of getting razor thin as we get into the nitty gritty here. Um, which brings us to the upcoming week for them. They will begin the SEC tournament play. They um, entering the Florida series, they could have been anywhere from a five to a ten seed, and it was the worst case scenario. They dropped all the way down to a ten seed in the SEC tournament. They will face Ole Miss tomorrow at approximately 12.45. It just depends on when the first game between A&M and Florida ends. That starts at 9.30, but it's an approximate 12.45 start time, Um, and it's a single game elimination in the first round, and if they win that game, they will advance to the double elimination portion of the SEC tournament. Um, Missouri took two out of three from Ole Miss <laughs> in March, and I was uh, I was at the game where the one they didn't win with Doug Nikhazy throwing a throwing a no hitter through seven. Yeah, um, that was another horrible game they played. Yeah, not to mention that. But no, um, a lot of this is huge ramifications. I mean, I just wrote an article on ColumbiaTribune.com that you can go check out if you haven't already, basically detailing how much this one game against Ole Miss means to them. If they win it, I think they're pretty safely into the regional. Um, If they lose it, um, they're going to be biting their fingernails coming Selection Monday. Um, And it's not impossible that they get in if they lose, but they're going to need a lot of other bubble teams to uh, have bad showings in their conference tournament Um, because their RPI is still 26 right now, so it's not completely terrible. Like It's still pretty good for a team that's on the bubble, theoretically. It would probably drop down to about 30-31 if they lose to Ole Miss. So, um, it's... 
it's going to be close. But if you win Tuesday, you win the game Tuesday, I think you're pretty safely in. Um, now, I talked to Beezer after Saturday's 4-3 disappointing loss again that concluded the sweep. He seems to think that uh, they're going to roll with the uh, Connor Ash and Jacob Canelberry combo um, on game one, um, considering that they're the uh, guys that will be throwing on four days rest. Um, I'm, I don't know about that. I don't know if I, Beezer knows more than I do, but I don't know if I'd be doing that. Um, I might be going with TJ on three. Connor Ash made his first start of the year on Thursday, went five innings, gave up four. Uh, sorry, gave up five because he walked a guy in the six, and then that came around to score on Candleberry's wild pitch. But uh, gave up five, and Candleberry threw four scoreless and struck out eight. Um, Candleberry, that was his first true relief appearance all year, and Beezer seemed to think that he liked him coming out of the bullpen. Um, so which roles they'll be, I don't know. I mean, I also put in the article that um, talking around a little bit, I think it's very possible that Sycamore comes out of the bullpen for an inning or two considering the stakes of that game um i also like eric kind of suggested don't think it's impossible that they start him on three days rest and you know he's he's your race you you got a game that's that that important you start your johan santana that's what the twins always did you you just you got to start your guy and I, i don't think it's out of the realm of possibility yeah that's that that was that would be what i would do but then again steve beezer has won championships at viani was great at simo and now is doing it here so he knows way more than i do clearly um, I think all hands will be on deck. Um, I don't know if they'll maybe start it with... I mean, you have to get to Wednesday to even think about it, but you know, um, maybe they want to throw Ash for two innings, throw Candleberry for four or five, and then let Sycamore throw two or three, and then worry about Wednesday when they have to. But ideally, you know, you throw Ash for three, and then Candleberry for five or six or however. I'm not good at math on this podcast. Um, throw Candleberry for six, and then you have Sycamore against Arkansas theoretically on Wednesday, but you have to get there first and you have to win a game first. And honestly, if you just win that game, the rest of the SEC tournament is almost uh, who cares. Um, as long as you can yeah, get yeah. One, one win and secure your place in the regional. So but. so backtracking a tiny bit, I did cover uh, Thursday and Saturday for us. I covered Friday when Sikama pitched and uh, two hours, five minutes uh, was the entire game time between Leftwich and Sycama, uh, the fastest high school, sorry, a college baseball game I had ever covered by far. Um, and that was the record crowd at uh, Taylor Stadium, uh, 3,182 beating, I think by 36 people, the record they sent last year against Vanderbilt. Still the record all time is the 2007 uh, regional when they were with Miami, Louisville, and somebody else. I can't remember off the top of my head. The game seven there against Louisville was 3,600 back in a little over a decade ago. Um, but now the conversation's kind of shifted, as you mentioned, from, oh, we're so in and we might coast to, and and when you're on that bubble, you're going to go to like the 14, 15, 16 team in the country, one of the weaker seeded teams where an upset is not likely, but it's, it's, it's well in your favor. Now you're, you're falling down to where you might be a low three where the teams were all the fours were are the one conference teams the small conference would get one team in uh usually those are the dangerous teams in the tournament but now it's like i i, I even if they run the table win the sec tournament and go undefeated i don't even think hosting's an, an option for them like if, if they win in hoover they win i guess they'd be what six games in a row to win the tournament if math is not distracting this podcast, but the single elimination and the double, how it would have to work. I think you got to win six games to win the SEC tournament. Mm-hmm. So I think I think it's six. So um, 
even if they win six in a row, I can't see them hosting because of this. And I think that yeah, they might be able to if they theoretically won the SEC tournament. But I think we're so far removed yeah. from that being a realm of possibility no. that it's not because they'd have to then about. beat Arkansas, Vanderbilt. They probably would run into Florida again. They'd probably get Texas A and M. They have to win all those, and I just can't see Mississippi that happening. State. Would Mississippi State would be, be up there, factored in there. But yeah, yeah no, I mean, I, I think if they win the SEC tournament, they're going to host. But I, with how thin their pitching staff is right now, and with how um, they're hitting can't hit a breaking ball or execute a bunt right now i wouldn't um no put too much stock into that let's let's just have them win tuesday first and then we'll uh, let theories run wild but, i want i wonder how drastically we're talking about this because they got swept in the final home series if they got swept at vanderbilt they won one of three from the number two team in the country how much differently we're talking about things if they don't get that one win in nashville I, th- I think um, quite they're, a out, bit. they're out right now. Oh if, yeah, quite if, a bit. If, if they don't win that game, because they won that one game, I think they're on the right side of the bubble, and it's going to take a lot on the bubble for them to mess up. They're, I think they're, I think their strength of schedule, because they play in the SEC, is their biggest strength, their biggest talking point. The games they've won in conference recently are more of a positive for a team like who's another team on the bubble, like a Houston, mm-hmm. who has a better, a little bit of a better record. But their RPI, their strength of schedule, misery just blows them out of the water. So if there's anything working for them, that's why the one win against Ole Miss would be huge. That just adds a little bit more fuel to the fire. I think that would be that says they're in no doubt. But I don't think it's a guarantee they're out, even if they lose. I, I think they're still in. I think they might be in regardless. Um, it, like I said, it's not impossible that they're in if they lose. But I think that they need a little bit of help, um, just to feel good about things. Yeah. Just to feel good about things. Um, I don't. I definitely don't think it's a guarantee that they're in if they lose. But um, from what I heard, I mean, some people think that they still feel good even if they lose, and it would take like a massive run of like small schools beating like heavy out favorites that have already clinched to upend them like but, Stetson going down and Stetson would still be in that would take an at large spot schools like Coastal Carolina schools like that yep um, it would take which you know is very there's not as many crazy upsets in baseball tournaments as there are in basketball tournaments no. mostly because of pitching depth in smaller conferences but um, no yeah it'll it'll be pretty interesting to see how it all unfolds um, also I guess I should add uh, TJ Sikama all uh, SEC second team, um, the third Mizzou player of all time to be either on the first or second team for all SEC. So uh, that was Missouri's lone uh, postseason award um, heading into the SEC tournament. So, and uh, of course, he's already been a uh, Golden Spikes semifinalist. So um, that's another prestigious honor for the junior left-handed pitcher who will probably not be coming back for a senior year because he'll probably be a low second-round draft pick. All right, Garrick, before we go into the sponsors here, I need your hot take. Which team is winning the SEC baseball tournament? I will give you that answer after the... uh after our sponsors. All right. Garrick and I will both be answering that question after we transition to the sponsors. For those of you who like Cam's voice, we will be recording a new sponsor for next week. But here is uh, Cam introducing our sponsors. We would like to take this time to thank the sponsors for the Mizzou Sports Podcast, MU Healthcare, Columbia Water and Light, and Phyllis Nichols of State Farm. The University of Missouri Healthcare is proud to be the official sponsor of Mizzou Athletics. Columbia Water and Light encourages the efficient use of electricity and water because it can make a big difference for all of us. Find out more at ColumbiaPowerPartners.com. And contact State Farm agent Phyllis Nichols at 573-443-8727 for life, home, car insurance, and more. 
Now we'll send you back to the podcast. All right. Thank you to our sponsors of the Mizzou Sports Podcast. We appreciate you listening and helping us do this. It's great to talk here with all, you know, just just do something different uh, instead of just writing and taking photos and, you know, just editing what we do. Uh, so if you'd like to become a sponsor, please inquire within. Absolutely. Uh, email, uh, uh, I guess, just sports at Columbia Tribune dot com will be the best place to send that. And we'll get you in the right hands. And we will be sure to delegate that. <laughs> Yeah, for sure. For sure. All right. Uh, we teased it a little bit before. Before we go into basketball news and track news and anything else, uh, Garrick, who is your pick to win the SEC baseball tournament? I'm going chalk. I'm going Vandy. I mean, they're just a very complete team. Their hitting's good. Their pitching's good. Um, they just won the coach of the year. Yeah. <laughs> Again. Um, I mean, it's pretty hard to bet against Vanderbilt, but uh, if I had to pick a non-Vanderbilt team... Uh, give me Mississippi State. All right, just for the sake of being different, I'll go. Head says Georgia. Uh, Heart says Auburn. Uh, again, Heart, wow! I didn't just, know just, you were just, uh, such a big War Eagle I, supporter. I, I am not at all. Uh, I guess my my dark horse pick will be Auburn. They at, at their best they looked really good. At their worst they've looked worse than Alabama, who is their. Uh, the, I guess there's the one team who didn't make it. Them in Kentucky are the two teams that didn't make the conference tournament. Yep, those are uh, the two met, yeah. two teams out. Yeah, so uh, yeah, I'll go. Head says Georgia, and dark horse pick be Auburn. Uh, and going into some uh, men's basketball news now, uh, we uh, the media had a chance to talk with head coach Conzo Martin last Tuesday, kind of getting a state, state of the union for the program. First time we got to talk to him since they lost to Auburn in Nashville, ending their season. Uh, John Day Porter is not coming back. He is officially signed with an agent. He is gone, uh, and they gave that scholarship away to somebody else. We'll get into that in a minute. Um, but he's now latest projection is SI has him going 39 to the Pelicans uh, where he would basically be backing up Zion or he would play the four and Zion would play the five something like that well he wouldn't be doing much of anything for his first year besides sitting out and rehabbing but true uh and then uh NBA draftnet.com has him going 46 to the magic they had him going I think <clears throat> to the Bucks in another one. Yeah, just it's looking like right now mid-second round is pretty much where he safely is. I can't see a way he falls out of the draft. I can't see a way he also falls into the first round. I can't see a way that happens either way. Mm, I think I, think, I so. think safely 35 through 50 is kind of where he ends up. And those players with potential that you take a, a flyer on in the second round of the NBA draft, because uh, his potential is first round top 15 type pick, but his ceiling is sitting... I guess sitting on the bench. Yeah, no. Um, that you mean his floor is sitting. Is, on the did bench. I say his, yeah, his yes. floor? But no, his. Um, yeah, no. He's uh, his ceiling isn't as high as his brother MPJ, which is why the Nuggets uh, took a chance on him at picks 14. 14. Yep. Um, so Dante's ceiling is not quite his brother. His ceiling is, you know, a uh, regular contributor, um, maybe a starter for a couple of years. Um, who knows? I mean, who knows how these things really work, but regardless of where he gets picked, he's going to miss at least a year and maybe who knows, he might even have to miss like a little bit of his second year. Doubtful, but you never know with how knee injuries work. Um, for I think sure. NBA GMs are a lot more, uh, willing to take risks in the second round especially because you know they've already got a alleged premier talent in their first round selection so um especially if it's like you know a um a team that's already like so stacked like i mean 
Denver would be a good spot for him in the <laughs> in the second round pick. Um, Denver would probably yeah, bring, be choosing bring like in, 55, two, 56. Yeah, bring yeah. in two porters um, where like their roster is already good enough to compete in the NBA and they could just re- keep on replenishing it so a year down the line they might have a reinforcement to just add to that. I mean, or yeah, I mean, it just depends on what NBT- NBA teams want. I, so, could, I could see them trading up and getting him in the mid-second round. That'd be a great fit for him. I don't think there's an easy answer to where Jonte goes. No, because, it's not like Drew Locke where he could pinpoint five teams. No, it's no not like I mean, he could theoretically get selected by all 30 teams and like just have to wait for a year just on potential. Like I don't think there's a team that couldn't take him or a team that absolutely will take him so he's kind of hard to pinpoint yeah um and, and i think that in the nba draft there's not the set like we need this we, there's not that set here's the board we need to fill by the end of the day it's here's the thing we need to fill now and there's one thing and jonte fills none of those roles because he's not rj barrett zion williamson john morant he's not one of those players he's a guy that might end up in the D League for a little while. Might play overseas at some point in his it's career. It's G League now. It's G League. Sure, uh, but he's a guy with NBA potential, and that's what's going to help him out a ton. Uh, he showed at the end of his freshman year. He showed a little bit before he got hurt this past fall that he could definitely start at the NBA level, and that's what Conzo said. He could be a four or a five, and he had completely expected to get back to health. Uh, so yeah, we uh, I guess as we get closer to the draft, we'll talk about him and maybe even some Jimmy Witt talk, uh, the Hickman grad who declared for the draft and is kind of on the bubble of whether he'll get drafted or not. I doubt it. I doubt it too, but a team might take a flyer on him and like, he might be Mr. Irrelevant, a, a guy like that. But uh, going into other Mizzou basketball news, uh, Jeremiah Tillman actually never technically, he declared for the draft on Instagram, but he technically never got entered in the process due to a paperwork issue. So he is definitely coming back for his junior season. Um they didn't specify where the paperwork issue happened, whether it was on the NBA's end or on Missouri's end, or Jeremiah just got some information wrong. That wasn't specified. Either way, they worked really hard with that part of the NBA, and it never got solved. And he is back in Columbia uh, and figures to be maybe the leader of next year's team with Jordan Geist heading out. Um, yeah, I think that that's perfect news for Mizzou fans. I, I, you would think that they're got to be with with Trey Jackson coming in, Mario McKinney, and then the signing of Kobe Brown, who's going to take Jonte's spot on the roster uh, on Wednesday. He chose them over Vanderbilt, Minnesota, and Penn State. You would think that Drew Smith will be eligible. Drew Smith is eligible. Mark Smith hopefully will be healthy, healthy coming back. Another year for guys like Javon Pickett, Xavier Pinson, uh, Mitchell Smith, guys like that. Another year for all of them to kind of develop. Things look pretty good. I, I don't think that they're a Duke in North Carolina where it's like, well, you can pencil them in and tournament right now. But they got a shot. If, if they reach the higher end of their potential, this, this is a team who could compete at the top of the SEC. I would think that if they're not on the bubble by the end of next year, this season was a failure. I think they have to at least qualify for the NIT. Um, you know, unless Conzo has another terrible uh Luck season with the yeah. injuries, but whoever his focal point of his team has been is not has not has played three games or hasn't made it to his season so far. But no, I I think you have to be on the bubble for it to be uh, considered a successful year in year three. I mean, um, you know, and then by year four you should be ready to win at least twenty one games. So I guess we'll see how the process plays out. There's a lot of things that could happen between now and, you know, November their first game. So True. True. Um, but I expect them to be at near the bubble, at least if I had to project where they're gonna be right now as of 
late May. It'd be kind of interesting because one of the NCAA tournament sites for next season is St. Louis. The conference is in Nashville, but the first round, the first four is in Dayton, but the first round there's a St. Louis is in St. Louis. So that would be pretty interesting if the Tigers end up there. Uh, no schedule has been released for next year yet. We're not anticipating that until August, maybe early September. Uh, we know they're playing in a tournament in Kansas City with Oklahoma, and I got this right off the podcast, and I can't remember who it is off the top of my head now. Butler and Stanford. Stanford thank you. Yep. Um, playing in a tournament in Kansas City there. I think it's called the Hall of Fame Classic. Uh, we know that a home game, I think, against, or is it a road game against Xavier is coming this season. Road game, is in road game against Xavier. 18-game conference schedule. Still got to fill like seven or six spots for a schedule. Um, we don't know what any indication of that's going to be. Probably a combination of mid-majors and Power 5 and Big East teams. Combination of all of that. Uh, coming out of the Kansas press conference, anything else that was pressing? Um, he expects the rest of the roster to stay together. KJ Santos, except, except for KJ Santos, who is uh, in the transfer portal and will look for a graduate transfer somewhere. Um, and then Michael Porter Sr. will still be on staff, although his role is not... is in the transfer portal, I believe. Yes. Yep. Uh, him too, yes. Um, and yeah, just basically the rest of the roster is staying together. And I think there was a stat that I saw online a couple of days ago is 13 of the 16 players on the roster for Missouri originally were committed to another school that is not Missouri. That's crazy. Uh, I don't know if that total's ever been high anywhere else like that. It just got to rebuild the roster from somewhere, I guess. It's except for Mario and two others, because Trey Jackson and Kobe Brown, the two other commits this season, were originally committed to Minnesota and Texas A&M, respectively. So I'm not sure who the other two are, because it's not Jeremiah. Um, off the top of my head, I just can't think of who it is. But um, I feel like Xavier Pinson was originally committed to Missouri. That's I was I was thinking I was thinking him and then somebody else, but I could be completely wrong. That's where we need Cam. Uh, hopefully, I'll be able to check in with him about some of that basketball news. Get all that shirt up by the time season rolls around. Uh, yeah, I don't know if there's anything else really to talk about here. Uh, uh, women's basketball got two transfers. They did uh, Shug Dixon and Ladesia Williams, um, and Gabby Jacobs still coming up competing in the. Uh, I think they had the uh, conference championships last weekend. LSU men are. Arkansas women, I believe, winning there. Um, and then, but I don't know. I'm not exactly sure if it works off the top of my head. They go to regionals and then the national championships. They still got some things to do where plenty of Missouri competitors are still in there for track. So, yeah, that's kind of the uh, update here for the Mizzou Sports Podcast. Um, people will be hearing Garrick's voice, my voice, a little bit more going forward. Uh, starting the next episode we record, which might be next week, might be two weeks from now, uh, we'll be doing, we want to incorporate some sort of, I guess, game or something like some sort of trivia or something that we can do every episode during the summer to fill some of those kind of lull moments when the kids are all at home and not here. Uh, if you have any suggestions for what we can do, uh, send them along to uh, Gary Codge on Twitter at G-A-R-R-I-C-K underscore H-O-D-G-E. You're a lot better at that than Cam is. Yes. Uh, can you get mine? Repay the favor? Bye, Eric Blum. Yeah, there we go. Uh, B-Y-E-R-I-C-B-L-U-M on Twitter. Reach out to us. We can do that. Yeah, I'll uh, say it. You spell it. Yeah. And then uh, we can go uh, into that. I, I know that last, at the end, we did, there were some like trivia and challenges that Cam and Danny did. We want to redo that. Cam volunteered me last time out to do the hot wings. I am perfectly fine doing that. Uh, I actually really liked the game they did last August where it was asking him a basketball or b- baseball trivia question. You miss both. You have to eat the weird ingredient. I kind of want to do that. That's uh, not, not, I'm volunteering myself for that one. If that's okay with you. Well, or Eric, Eric really wants uh, to be punished. So I, I guess think I, like, yeah, I think I like trivia. 
in he, the sake of punishment. He's a glutton for punishment, I suppose. So I guess we'll try to incorporate his uh, his crazy whims into this Mizzou sports podcast. <laughs> I guess so. I, I just think it's kind of a fun way when we're not in, in, in season, especially with everything dying down. Something to pass the time until SEC media days is in the, in the middle of July. And then after that, first day of pads, I think, is August, I want to say, 5th this year for Mizzou football. So... Yeah, it's definitely a good way to pass the time, but it's great to catch up with everybody. Unless there's anything else Garrick wants to say, we'll uh, cue the outro music here and uh, call it a day. All right, we'll see you next week or two weeks. Mizzou Sports Podcast at iTunes, Google Play, or Stitcher. 